Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages in Australia and around the world. I'm Lourdes García Larque. Today we are revisiting Accent of Women's archives and we are bringing an interview I presented on my first Accent of Women show in March 2013. On today's program, we look at the struggle of indigenous women for their rights in Zapatista communities in southeastern Mexico, and we will explore the idea of feminism in indigenous communities. Within the Zapatista communities, women have played a fundamental role in building their communities, leading the rebel army and fighting for land rights and the protection of the environment. The concept of feminism is being explored by Zapatista women and men, and since 1994, the Zapatista women revolutionary law have called for a liberation of women in many, many fronts. But what does feminism mean to these indigenous communities? What does feminism mean to the indigenous women in Chiapas and in Mexico? What are the differences between Western feminism and, more specifically, urban feminism that focuses on the individual rights and liberties? And, on the other hand, what is indigenous collectivist feminism that focuses on community and land rights? First up, we will listen to the voice of a Zapatista woman from Venustiano Carranza, speaking from the floor at the third international seminar Mother Earth and Antisystemic Movements that took place in Cidesi, San Cristóbal de las Casas, Chiapas, in January 2013. I want to say that above everyone in power, there are men, sexist men. Women are always below. Here, us women, we have learned a lot. We have listened and heard stories. We have got organized in our Women's Rights Center, and we learned that women had been left behind. In our own communities, we used to go to community assemblies and seminars and be there, but we did not participate. Luckily, in our communities, we have changed. We are now organized, we have and share our voice, we look after Mother Earth, we produce organic fertilizers, we produce vegetables, corn. Men and women live together and work together. There is no discussion about that. We are building justice. That is why we, women, are present here, to give back together to Mother Earth. Here we were born, here we give back to our land. That was the voice of an indigenous woman from the Zapatista community of Venusiano Carranza, who shared her words during the third international seminar Mother Earth and Antisystemic Movements that took place in Cidesi, San Cristóbal de las Casas, Mexico, in January this year. Now, we will listen to Silvia Marcos, a Mexican scholar and professor, author of several books including Crossing the Borders, Indigenous Women from Below and to the Left, Silvia is an, an ethnologist and a very committed feminist academic who regularly presents workshops and lectures at the Land University, a Zapatista college in Chiapas. What will be some of the main differences between this mainstream feminism and indigenous feminism? Well, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, within mainstream feminism there is a, a demand of individual rights of women, women as individuals, 
and uh, within indigenous communities, neither men nor women consider themselves individuals. They are part of a larger community, so the way they have to proceed to, to demand their rights, yes, they are rights as women, but they are rights within a collectivity within a, a cultural background. And this makes priorities of their struggles very particular and very different. And they will never be against their men uh, simply because they are men and, and they are women, you know, which is something that happens often in uh, mainstream feminism. I was first a feminist myself for many years before I noticed that there is a difference within indigenous women's feminism. And that, you know, many mainstream feminists will say ah, they are not really feminists. They are not claiming their rights as they should be doing it. Because they are also, you know, mainstream feminism is middle class or middle high class or academic, people like me at the universities. And we have been trained in a, in a philosophical um, background that makes us think of ourselves, first of all, as individuals. Let me give you a concrete example. In the area, Zapatista, you know, Zapatista struggle. When Zapatismo became public, they had been struggling, you know, clandestine movement. And the moment it became public, there were many women in the movement, and there was Commander Ana Maria, that, Mayor Ana Maria, that took, uh, that she was the one in charge of taking over San Cristobal, imagine, a young woman, maybe 18 years old or 19 at the time. And, uh, and there was Comandante Ramona, who was a commander-in-chief of, of the Central Committee of the Zapatistas. So there were many women, there were many milicianas, uh, many insurgents, insurgentas. Um, so there was, there was a little surprising to find so many women and indigenous women that according to urban Mexican women, the Indians are always more backward, more oppressed, more subdued, more exploited, more etc. And women, of course, worse. And this is simply a stereotype. It's just something that we take for granted. It's something like, you know, the Indians are poorer, they are marginal, they are exploited, they seldom speak, even men, I'm not speaking about women, but seldom speak, they don't answer back when they get uh, mistreated, they, they are silent, uh, or they were. After Zapatismo, that's no longer true. Okay, so, uh, so there was the belief that the women were extremely oppressed, simply because they were the women of the indigenous peoples, and they had to be worse. And there's such a simplistic attitude among uh, mainstream feminists, you know. Consider the, there were groups of women that came, and many feminist groups, that came to help between quotes, you know. And, uh, and I have heard you know, claims from the same commander women or from subcommander Marcos. And of course there were a lot of tensions and of course the commanders, the Zapatista commanders didn't want to deal with them, so they were shown, they were expelled from the Zapatistas. And gradually they have come, and it has been, I could 
help them, you know, the feminists here, help them to see that they should not act as colonialists with indigenous women, that they have to first learn what are the issues that are more difficult for them to deal as women and what they want to change. And very often they want to change uh, not exactly the same things we think they should change. Mm. So it is uh, very complicated and it's, uh, it's not easy, but I think that in many parts of the world indigenous women have a way of claiming their rights as women that's very different or particular in certain sense different to the feminists. And there are certain issues that, you know, well, violence against women, you know. This is quite the same, mm. but it is not the same, and this is what they are doing here, some of the feminists in the area. It's not the same when the right to land is also implied in it. Huh? Mm. So if you, for example, an indigenous woman will say, I want to inherit land. I want to be the proprietor of the land. And then they care about this, first of all, because it's survival. So they don't need to fight with their men first, mm. like a, an urban woman that has everything solved, and she's a middle class, and she has a job, and she has... So it is a very different priority of issues. And then when they are claiming the right to land, it's not individual women that are claiming the right to land. It's the whole community that's claiming the right to land. So you see how the interaction between the community and individual rights, it's not, uh, it's very complex. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the only thing we should do as feminists from outside is just listen very carefully and learn to, to learn how what it is for these women that's more important and where we should support them. And I have seen these feminist, local feminists changing gradually and, mm. you know, and learning how to, how to focus on violence against women that doesn't leave, reduce violence against women exclusively to violence male-female, you know, mm. which is very often all over the world, this is the way it... Can you talk to us about this structural violence? What will be the main structural issues regarding the violence that the indigenous women suffer in the communities? The main, and, and there was a forum a few months ago here in, in, um, in San Cristobal, the main is the access to land, access to producing the land, to own the land, different sorts of access to land. Uh, inherit the land, you know, different. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, I am a Mesoamericanist uh, ethno-historian, and I know in my data that when the Spanish came to Mexico, the indigenous women could own the land and they could inherit the land. But the moment that these Spanish institutions came, whatever came out of this... Of this um, hybridization between the Spanish institutions and the local institutions, the governmental institutions. I have heard women, say indigenous women, Maria de Jesus Patricio, will say or has said in, the, in, the, in her address to Congress, you know, and this is a very important address. She had to be very exact and very, very 
careful of what she said. And she insisted that whenever, that in their communities, the women could have a piece of land because the husband died or something. But whenever the men from central government, when the legal procedures from the central government or from not the national only, but the state wanted to, to legalize, to do all the, the legal documents and etc., they expressly asked to have a man. They did not want women. So they were implementing a patriarchal policy that was not proper to the local people, to the indigenous people. So you see here a, a kind of influence that has damaged the place of women. I don't say that women in indigenous communities had everything all, all solved, no. But that it was worsened by the influence of the Spanish uh, colonization, the, the legal status, it diminished the, the, the place of women. So the women very often fight against those kind of... And they are very clear that it's not coming from their usos y costumbres, which is customary law. Huh? It's what's called customary law. In every community or every ethnic group, it might be different, you know, the way these things are sold out. Women's have, women have a lot of power in certain areas as healers, as, as uh, marriage contractors. These are even historical things that I have found. And uh, they have this power that, that women in urban centers do not have. Yeah. And so why destroy all the customary laws? Because some of them might be better for the women than... So this is, this is one structural um, violence, which is the, the violence that suffer all indigenous groups. Huh? Mm. It is particular for women also, a little worse for women, because there is these patriarchal institutions. Mm. So when the Zapatistas um, appeared in 1994, one of the first laws that, they, uh, that became public was the Revolutionary war, uh, Law of Women, or mm -hmm. Women Revolutionary mm -hmm. Law. So how did that impact the Zapatista communities? Or, and what can we learn as women in other parts of the society in Mexico and in other countries? Well, I from must that? tell you, before um, Zapatismo came out in the end of 93, the 31st of December. I was in a meeting in, in uh, UNAM, in Mexico City, and someone came very quickly and gave me a little bulletin and disappeared. And it was already the first bulletin, Zapatista bulletin. And when I opened it and I saw this, I had been a feminist for 15 years then. And I said, my God, who is this group that's claiming these rights for women? It was so well done because it's not very specific, it's quite general, so it lets uh, the specificities to be done by communities or by groups or by particular places. But it was just, at that time I remember I said, we have not been able to, to get. What this law is asking for women, we had not, we had been struggling 15 18 years as feminists, and we had not been able, not even to pass a law like that, that would be heard by our government then, you know, at this moment. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, this law, it doesn't mean exactly that it's fully taken to, to real life in every Zapatista community. Uh, it's more like an objective. 
but it is already the the accepted way. This is very important because you see, in Mexico, many men. I I mean, I think it's still true, although it's a little sad. But many men think they have to hit their women if the food is not ready, or if the bread, the food is not hot, or if they go out of the house without telling them. But they feel this is the the right way to act. When you have a revolutionary women's law that is as it is among Zapatistas, well, you know, in the juntas de buen gobierno, in the assemblies, the collective assemblies, a woman comes to to blame the man that uh, if he was violent, because it's no longer the, na the natural or the cultural way to be a man. So at least this is completely different. This is no longer... In the cities in Mexico, you still find many men that if they are not macho, they don't feel they are men, and they have to be violent and be ruthless and, and be asking many many extreme things from women or having sex against their will. And, and this is no longer the way, the cultural appropriate way to be. So the, the, the revolutionary women law already did a very important step forward. So how, how much it is really taken uh, to exactly to consider. Well, there is a difference. There are different places. I have been in several of the caracoles, and in some caracoles uh, the women are more, are clearer that what are their rights and they will ask and very often they have to read they have to bring the revolutionary women's law and read it and you know here it says and so you have so because you are dealing with cultural issues that have been there forever because imagine mexico has been forever a macho country so i tell you again this revolutionary women's law changed a lot changed many many it changed the culture it changed the, expect, the cultural expectations. And the, and the women are continuing to make this a real, a real issue. And you see it, because you see the, you, you know, the mobilization that was here. It's all full of young women. And the women, Zapatista women, 18, 19 years old, that were born with the process, they are just different. They, are, they just feel they have rights. They don't need to make a, a point out of it or discuss it. Or, no, they have rights, and, and that's it, you know. And it's a very different kind of world they are living. And yet, it's still a very communal world. I was just there the end, of, you know, the 31st of December. In, I was in Oventic, and I was watching these young people dancing, and, you know, how they were dancing... And, and, you know, the, the attraction, this kind of, you know, the way a, a young man likes a woman and comes and talks to her. And I was watching all of this now, just two days ago. And it's uh, so different than it was before in the communities. In the communities before it had to be, before they could talk to each other, it had to be pre-selected by the family. You know, Zapatismo came to create a larger collective. Zapatismo created a new society, because they are all Zapatistas. Mm -hmm. and, and they trust each other. And they trust each other, and they have the revolutionary women's law. The whole collective of Zapatistas, you know, 40,000 came marching here. 
So it tells you how it's growing. Although many people are all over the world think that Zapatismo has diminished in numbers and it has disappeared, and it's simply a strategy to, to banish them. But they are not banished, and they are auto, they, they self-govern themselves, and they are autonomous. Uh, they have a relative autonomy, of course, because they are still, and they don't want to be away from Mexican territory, so they want to be Tzotziles and, and Mexican. So it gives a very particular sort of autonomy. It's a very, you could say, certain limits, the autonomy. But anyway, they create a new world, I mean. You could feel there is a whole way of living that's... Uh, and then women there are asking for their rights within this collectivity. So it's not like you have to, to invent everything, you know. It's not that you have to be exactly identical to men to have your rights as women. And this is something... That's very difficult to understand by mainstream feminism. And issues such as that is the militarization of the area, has that affected women specifically? Of course, of course, of course but militarization. You know, several women have been raped by the military, and there are several cases that are taken to by, by some of my feminist advocates, friends here. Uh, they are trying to put its impu impunity is the rule in Mexico. So, so they, it's, uh, of course, and, and it's an increase of prostitution. And some of these women are being raped. They are being uh, taken away and, and used as prostitutes. And it's much less in the area of Zapatismo than it happens in the cities. Huh? Now, this Zapat the territory of Zapatistas doesn't have a problem with drugs, and Mexico has a big problem with drugs. We are practically in the hands of the drug cartels. Our, our state doesn't, is not able to defend. We heard the people from Cherán, the, the, the man from Cherán, Salvador Componur, said, the moment our young ch girls started to disappear, because they were raped and taken away, we said we have to, to implement uh, our own security as a, as a, as a, as a group, as a, a community. And, they, and he said because we could not allow this to continue happening. And they, they, they gave the, go the government, the local government in Michoacán, this um, condition. Huh? If you can control the drug cartels that are destroying all our our forest if you can control and you assure you can assure our security against and be absolutely that you can control this kind of insecurity we live by okay we will enter into the electoral process and the, and the state could not they could not so they accepted they had to accept that they continue with their own customary law ways of election and they have a collective collective like the Zapatistas, they have a collective like Junta de Buen Gobierno. They don't call it uh, exactly with the same terms that the Zapatistas. But they are doing exactly the same. Not exactly the same, but they are, they are governing themselves. And they, they have controlled the, 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 the narco-traffickers in Cherán now. And they have controlled the people that are este, destroying the, the forest. So you see that um, there is a way. And then the other issue there, it's very interesting, is that they do las fogatas. Oh. Las fogatas. 
are in charge absolutely of the women. And Las Fogatas is the first nucleus, political nucleus in general. And it's in the hand of women. But they cook. They are cooking. And it's through cooking that they control and they create the first political cell of Cherán. They are creating a communal council through this collectivity because they, they cook and the people keeps guard around there all night and all day. And there is a shifting of the people. But the ones in charge of this cell, you could say that's political cell, it's the women through cooking. So again, you know, for a, for a limited mind of a hegemonic feminist, this is going back to cooking, you know, or going back to these women's tasks that are low or lower. And you see that here it's, it's the contrary. It's a political strength. And they, and they started creating it. So you see, this is the kind of thing that's very difficult to go across. For example, and through the feminine task, they are creating a political collective. And they are defending the whole community. And they are leaders. You can say they are lead, they, there is a leadership, a political leadership, through cooking. Uh, so these are the paradoxes of, of indigenous women taking in their own hands the rights they want to claim as women. For example, you, you might say maybe in, in Chiapas, uh, stopping to cook uh, el pozol mm -hmm. that the women drink here, maybe it's a liberating act, I don't know, but they have to tell us. Because for the women in Cherán, it was just the contrary. It's just this very uh, delicate balance and a lot of uh, respectful listening and learning from their own situation to know what it is for them to ask for the right, mi derecho, like they say. They don't say derechos humanos de las mujeres, they say mi derecho. That was Silvia Marcos, a committed scholar and professor commenting from San Cristóbal de las Casas, Chiapas, Mexico. This month is Radio Dawn Time for Accent of Women on 3CR Community Radio. On Saturday, June 13, we are screening a film, Heart of Time, a film that takes you to the heart of the Zapatista resistance. The film is being screened at Under the Hammer Art Hub on 158 Sydney Road, Coburg. You can find more information on the Accent of Women's Facebook page or on the 3CR's website. Entry is $10 concession, $15 full fee, and $20 solidarity. Drinks and snacks will be available. And that's all we have time for on today's Accent of Women. If you want to hear this show again or any of our other programs, you can download the podcasts on the 3CR's website, www.3cr.org.au. That's with the digit 3 and not spelled out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning into the show today. I'm Lourdes Garcia Larque, 
and I look forward to your company again in our next program. Morenita mía, no te olvidaré. Madre preciosa, madre preciosa.